This episode touches on emerging technologies, future mindsets, and what you might need to know if you have no idea what those things mean. Could you guys talk about knowing when to pivot and iterate with your startup in these emerging markets and with these emerging technologies? I wanted to know more about how we should go about incorporating that into lower areas of education. We have emerging technologies, but they're emerging countries. Most of the world on up to the speed of America and England. What is your advice to a founder looking to um, raise their first fund? Hey, Katrina here. About a few weeks ago, we did an episode on ChatGPT. It was our pilot episode. You can go back and listen to it. It's called Let's Chat GPT. And it might seem like we're always talking about AI. Well, in this episode, I'm going to take you back to a live hype session that we had here in Mountain View, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. And you guessed it, we talked a lot about AI. Well, we brought in a panel to thematically discuss emerging technologies and future mindsets. And you guessed it, a good portion of the questions were about ChatGPT, OpenAI, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing I found that was most unique about that night is it seemed that a good number of the questions were coming from founders. Not all necessarily in tech, but they were interested to know, what should I know about? Well, tech and which vertical of this emerging technology should I focus on? And where's the line to cross to be part of these merging markets? Do the markets need to merge? Do I need to worry? Etc. Etc. As for the panelists, they were awesome. They were so open-handed with how they shared wisdom and stories of experience from AI to biz dev, startup life, VC life. Truly, it's one of the most awesome things that happens at our networking events. I'm so proud of it and love how it proves that the people of God can be the church in some of the most unique, coolest, innovative ways like Hive Sessions. The voices you'll hear in this episode are Pastor Adam Smallcomb, our host who kicks off the event, Brandon Middleton, an industry leader in Web3, currently with AWS Amazon Web Systems. He's also the co-founder of Trilicon Valley. Kyle Jenke with WhatsApp Meta. He's brilliant with leading organizations into success. You'll hear more about that in his story. And Eugene Johnson, CEO and founder of Revy, which is a new startup, um, but he's not new to the startup life. You'll really love his story. This was our kickoff hype session for 2023 in Mountain View, California, as I said. I was moderating the panel and we had about 200 people in the room from all over the Bay Area. You'll hear them in the audience as well. It was pretty electric and I'm really looking forward to getting y'all together again at Amen Conference here in the Silicon Valley for hype sessions once again. It'll be this summer in June. More on that later. So I hope that sets you up well. I hope you're ready to listen to some really great conversations and great responses to the questions that were in the room. Love to hear what you think about it. You can email us at podcast at hypenetwork.org. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Okay, so tonight we've got some really exciting stuff. Obviously, we've got a killer panel uh, and a killer discussion that we're going to get out uh, just a moment. We're also going to be having time for Q&A. We want to know what you don't know and we want to help each other. And so I want you to be thinking of questions that you can be asking throughout the panel uh, and we'll have a roving microphone that will go around and, uh, you know, find you if you put your hand up and you're bold enough. There are no stupid questions unless we deem collectively that it is stupid, uh, but we'll only think it. We won't verbalise it. I'm joking. Hey, I want to bring up Katrina. Can we give it up for Katrina who's on the, the Hype Network team? And really the, the engine room behind Network, Network. Katrina, isn't this cool? This is like so cool. Look at all these folks here and uh, all the innovators in the Silicon Valley and uh, emerging markets. So we're really excited for what is in store tonight. Fasten your seatbelts. Yeah. 
Awesome. Thanks, Pastor Adam. So yeah, I'm Katrina Mackrack. If I don't know you, I am on the team here at Vive and on the Hype Network team. And um, before I introduce these guys, I just have to say this is really cool. Um, you have to look around and take a moment to know that this is really unique. So if you could take a second and just acknowledge that this is really unique. This doesn't usually happen in a space like this, right? And I know we've talked about this quite a bit, that this happens outside of spaces like this, being able to have these type of people in a room and have the kingdom principles and mindset um, that it branches from is really cool. This is part of our future letter. And so just to honor Pastor Adam real quick, if you haven't yet, honor Pastor Adam. <laughs> yeah. If, I have to say, if you're, if you, even if you're part of Vive and you're new to this building, if you get a chance to go look at the wall over by the stairs, there's a 50-year-plus future letter that Pastor Adam penned. And doing this is in that letter, you know, breaking through spaces and redeeming industries and really claiming them for the kingdom and doing some amazing things like that. And, and I think that, so sorry, I won't talk too long because these guys will talk all about it, but, but just to set it up so that you can get ready to ask questions of how to be part of that is um, the connections that you make are cultivated in spaces like this. Acts 2 talks about a church that shared amongst each other and there was a community that kind of had no lack. So when I look at this room, like the future is like a community of believers that has no lack like at all. So hopefully what we talk about will stimulate and inspire some of that. Uh, that's what I'm looking for in the future. Um, my name is Brandon Middleton, uh, born and raised in Chicago. I've uh, been in the Bay Area for about 18 years now. Um, I'll say I studied uh, electrical engineering at the University of Illinois, so I'm like an engineer by trade. Um, I came out here in 2005, 2006. I worked at Cisco Systems for like a decade, so computer networking and uh, security and routers and switches and all that stuff. Um, during the last part of that, I did my MBA at UC Berkeley. Um, so after the after the school was over, I did uh, the switch to Microsoft to learn kind of cloud computing and that kind of thing. Um, did some management consulting after Microsoft. Uh, got married in that time. Dad of three kids. Uh, anniversaries next Valentine's Day will be 13 years. Uh, excited about that. Got married in this church in that uh, room right next door. Uh, so that's cool. Um, after management consulting, it was AWS for me. So I've been, for the last three years, uh, focusing on building startups who are building on top of AWS in the crypto, Web3, and blockchain space. So uh, crypto went crazy in 2021, went crazy in the other direction in 2022, and uh, now continuing to be in this space is either the best decision or the worst decision that I've ever, ma I've ever made. <laughs> awesome. And then, Brandon, you also... Um, are heavily involved with the D school at Sanford. If you want to, I just want to make sure everybody knows that as well. Sure. That's, that's right. Take off the corporate hat. Um, I told you I graduated from Cal for my MBA. I'm bilingual in that I teach at Stanford uh, a course called Redesigning Finance at the D school. So um, sometimes you'll find me on University Avenue at the AWS office. Other times you'll find me on the same University Avenue at Stanford uh, teaching a class. I've been doing that for about five years now. Awesome. Okay. We're going to talk a lot about all of that. So that's going to be great. Okay. So next time we've got another great kingdom builder. You've actually been at Vive for the entire time, right? Like 10, 10 and a half years. We've got Kyle Janke. Give him a hand, please. Yeah. And um, Kyle 
You're at um, WhatsApp, Meta, and your role currently is Senior Director of Partnerships, Business Messaging, right? It's a, a mouthful to say. It's like a really long title. But I love it. And, and I know that you've got such a great wealth of experience. When we were talking on our preliminary call, you were talking about the stint um, in India. I mean, like you've been all over. Could you share a little bit about your experience so the room can know who you are? Yeah, so I'll give you guys a little corporate trick. The, uh, the longer the title, the less important the person. So just keep that in mind. Uh, my background is I did six years at Goldman Sachs in New York uh, and also in India. And coming back from India to New York, India felt so entrepreneurial. Um, and when I got back to New York, I felt like a cog in the machine. It didn't feel right. And so I moved out here uh, to the Bay Area um, I was early at three different startups over the last 12 years. Um, on a good side, all three of them got acquired, which was fantastic. It also means that we never quite got to finish what we were building, um, which is a bummer, but a good outcome at those three companies. Now I'm at Meta. I work at WhatsApp, uh, focused on monetization of WhatsApp. Uh, something that's different about me than probably a lot of the folks who work at Meta I wake up every day because WhatsApp is so international, and I start my day thinking about people in Brazil and India and Indonesia um, and Mexico, and that's where I really focus my time. Um, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about folks here in the States. <laughs> Kyle, what are you most excited about? Like, what in your space that you're looking at, what you're managing through and leading in right now, what, what would you say you're most passionate about? Yeah, I think the way that people communicate, particularly with businesses, is pretty broken. And so if you think about when you call a company to get help, the technology that customer is using is like 50 years old. The 1-800 number was invented in 1960. IVR, which is like press one, press two, that was invented in the 70s. And we feel strongly that there is a better way to have those communications uh, with people and businesses. Awesome. That's great. Okay, so directly to my right, we've got Eugene Johnson. Um, if you were at Majesty, Eugene, yes, was one of our rappers. Eugene is really multi-talented. We won't make you rap. I, by the way, speaking of rap, I did catch a quick podcast, Brandon, of you rapping through a presentation. So maybe we will at the end. I joked at the last hype session that we would like do a pitch real quick, but maybe we'll just do like a battle. On, um, on emerging technology. Um, I'll be Robin, you be Batman. <laughs> yeah. So Eugene, I know you are extremely entrepreneurial. We were talking about you've really, I mean, you've got your, um, you're a CEO of your current company, but you've been an entrepreneur since you were 18 and you've um, led quite a few companies into some success as well. But I want to let you talk about it so everyone can hear who you are. All right. Um, so... Uh, like she mentioned, I started my first company when I was 18. i uh, pretty much been an entrepreneur my entire life. I always joke around and say the first half of my life was very unlucky. And the later half of my life, I got very lucky because uh, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood in New York. It was uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn, for those who kind of know, you know. Um, and uh, I got in a lot of trouble as a kid. And a friend of mine dragged me, well, 
he, he says he invited me, but he tricked me into going to Oklahoma at a leadership conference, and I met a couple of people there. One was a billionaire, and he took a liking to me and some others, and um, his last five years on earth, my first five years in business, I got a chance to learn from him, um, changed my life uh, instantly. And um, that first company, we were more of a reseller, direct sales. We built a team of you know, hundreds of sales reps and marketers across the country, so both nationally and internationally. Uh, so that book of business traveled for a minute, uh, went to like Africa and Dubai and tried to figure out what was next and came back and decided I was going to start an investment company because that's what you do when you got a little bit of money. And, um, and I invested actually in crypto was my, what was my biggest thing in 2011 or 12. So it was like $200 a share, which was nuts. Um, and, um, and then in 20, uh, and right after that, I ended up doing a brand business. So I did mostly public speaking, uh, leadership development, sales enablement at corporate 1000 uh, companies, mostly for, um, you know, pretty established businesses. Um, and then I ended up writing a book that became Amazon bestseller and decided I was going to jump into tech. And I was going to start a company, and a friend of mine's headhunted me for his company. It was a company uh, called Meraki, uh, which uh, was 50 employees at the time. They were still a startup. I ran their West Coast Division of Sales Enablement. Uh, Meraki, I thought I was going to be there for a year, but I was there for five. They exploded. We went from 50, 60 employees to like 5,000. Uh, sold to Cisco for a couple billion dollars, so that was pretty cool. And um, <clears throat> then I decided I'm going to start a company, and I started Revy. And you know, what we currently do is we uh, digitize the physical space, so we help uh, businesses create uh, opportunity to engage with consumers on a deeper level, leverage that engagement to drive more revenue back into the business. Awesome. Tell us where Revy's at right now, because you guys just moved into a new space. Like, there's a lot of exciting yes, we did. things. We, right we now, just Revy. we just moved into a new space. Oh, hi, Diana. I see you. Um, we just moved into a new space, um, and uh, it's right up the block from the Salesforce Tower. So that, I'm excited about that. Uh, we've got about 30 or so employees, uh, both locally and um, internationally. Uh, we've got about a million consumers on the platform. About you know a couple hundred businesses. So it's, we're, we're excited. It's a, it's a lot to do with trying to take down a giant. Awesome. So good. I have to mention that these guys are not only busy, but they're all fathers. And they all have young kids. And um, Patrick, today in the staff meeting, we were talking about capacity. And um, every time I talk to each one of them, they're very lighthearted about the work they do. They're excited about the work they do. And um, you said something that I had to write down that your emotional, what did you say? You're a, you're a your capacity is determined by your emotional capacity. I didn't want to get that quote wrong. And, um, and so I just had to note this because you can hear them talk and there's really something to draw from them and to learn from their capacity and how they are as fathers because they're all really great fathers as well. But um, okay, so I want to jump in because I'm looking at the room and I know not everybody is really from tech space. And so I just want to create sort of a baseline. It might not solve everything that you're trying to understand, but at least to give us a place to jump off from because... The session is called Emerging Technologies, Forefront Mindsets. So maybe we could just start off there and just give a kind of a baseline definition of what's emerging technology. <laughs> we'll start off there. And, um, and maybe what are the ones that we really just need to consider? What is in the forefront of that? Um, I know there's probably three to five that we really need to kind of mention. Sure. So to put it concisely, um, to go into academia, you know, there's research that develops over time people who are business people uh, look to commercialize that research and like make businesses out of it. 
And then once it's mature and out there into the market and people are using it, then it's like the, the old thing and people kind of go upstream and trying to do it all again. So the way I think about emerging technology is it's recently graduated from university and moved into the kind of freshman year of commercialization where entrepreneurs and like people are trying to figure out how do I make the most money out of this? How do I get all the bugs out so that, you know, one day it could get to a billion or two daily active users uh, on into the future. So that's my simplest, whether you're talking about AI, whether you're talking about Web3 and crypto, whether you're talking about um, any other stuff, robotics or IoT, um, that's the maturity and kind of the simplest way that I would like explain it to my mom or my awesome. dad. Did you, it looks like you want to jump um, in. Uh, yeah, because I, I have a, I'm a bit of a contrarian. So, you know, I, I actually think that emergent technology is, um, it's basically uh, the innovation in real time. Like that, that's kind of how I look at it. It's like the realization of innovation in real time. And what I mean by that is that you have, a lot of things that are innovative, right? You can innovate how to mow a lawn or something like that, but it's, it doesn't become emerging until it like passes three stages in my mind. You know, the first stage is that it, it goes into novelty. It's something that's new, different, um, trending. But then it also has to be groundbreaking, like something that shifts the atmosphere. Uh, and th in my opinion, there's only a few real emerging technologies right now. Um, and then there's the, the, the pace or speed of adoption. So once you get to a certain pace, then it becomes emerging. And I think that that's really what the idea of emerging technology is. And so in my opinion, I only look at like things like AI, robotics, um, food created in labs, um, you know, uh, nuclear fission, um, uh, VR, augmented reality. I think that those are what I would probably say is probably only seven real close to emerging technologies. Robotics is probably another one. Um, and then everything else is innovative but not necessarily what I would consider emerging technology. Interesting. Yeah. Did you, sorry, you do want to jump in, Kyle? Yeah. Yeah, so we define it pretty simply. We define it as a technology whose development and application are still unrealized. And, you know, there are two pieces there. There's the development side, which is we need to develop, build, evolve the technology. But then there's also the application side that's equally important. How are you going to use what you've built? And there's a lot of evolution that needs to go on there as well. And when both of those or one of those is unrealized, we think of that as emerging technology. That's great. Yeah, that's really awesome. Can I go a little bit deeper so that we can figure out how to ask the right questions from you guys? Because those are good. And the more I dig into it and chat with you guys, it's like everybody's got a different definition of what emerging technology is. But what are the, whether they're trends or um, how do, how do I say this? What do we need to know? Like, how do we grab what you know? What are the things that we should start looking into? Where are the opportunities um, in what you're speaking about as far as merging tech or the specific areas that you're talking about? Well, I'll start by saying that it's happening too fast to know everything. So uh, there's a quote that somebody told me last week. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So your team and who you spend time around uh, speaking with, learning from, and all of that is going to kind of be the people that can look into your blind spots and like make recommendations for you because one human being can't boil the ocean with all of this stuff that's out here today. So I would say uh, building a team and these networking types of events um, and these long kind of philosophical conversations about the 
50-year future that you want to see for yourself and for your children and for your communities are kind of the things that are first principles for any of us who are trying to like make progress in the space. Yeah. And I want to double, double tap on that because uh, you mentioned like not being able to do multiple things at the same time. And Pastor Adam had, it was on a video, he said, um, he was talking about capacity, going back to the capacity conversation. And he said that it's not only that you can, you can have capacity by being able to hold a lot of things, but being able to hold a lot of things at the same time, but also understanding how, which ones make the most uh, impact for you in your life and how you kind of see what you want to kind of do um, next. And so my actual opinion is, instead of trying to predict the future, like it's that's like trying to win in, in stocks. Like the reality is you're, you're battling against a monster that you can't really win against. So, so what you should do is just focus on what's happening right now. And then figure out like, okay, because most people are late adopters, not early adopters. So you don't have to know the adoption beforehand. You just got to catch the one that's in front of you. And so what I would do is figure out like what pieces of the puzzle align to where I'm trying to go. And then how do I catch that particular thing and run on that? That's, that's what I would, that's how I would look at it. Yeah, that's awesome. How do you, you got to, yeah, you got applause. Um, how do we, because I want to dig in deeper. So do you guys, I'd love to hear stories of how you've done that because um, the three of you, as you talk about your industry, you talk about your roles, what I'm hearing is that you're interested in what makes it better, right? Whether it's to disrupt the industry to do something better or in your space, creating opportunity, it's application and community, you know, what, what have you. Um, how do you do that? And what's some examples of that? Um, and I'm sure we'll have some questions around that, but. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say if you want to learn about emerging technology, I'd actually advise you don't try to learn about emerging technology, <laughs> but instead figure out a really hard problem that you're passionate about solving. And so, you know, as an example, my buddy Mason right there, he was really passionate about solving ergonomics for people who work from home. And because he's passionate about solving that problem, he started a company called Wiggle. And as part of Wiggle, now he's learning about AI because he needs to apply it, web application, gamification of features. And so he's leveraging that technology but it's not just to learn about that technology, it's because there's a problem that he is passionate about. And when you have that, that's when you'll become the most expert in that field. I'll share an example. Um, I don't care about AI, but I am deeply passionate about people on WhatsApp not getting spam messages. And yeah, someone clapped, they're probably not from, they're probably not from, they're probably not from America. Um, and like right now in India, we've got a real problem with spam messages. And so what are the tools that I have at my disposal to solve that problem? And AI and ML are some of the best tools at identifying spam and removing it from the system. And so I'm investing my time in learning about the application of those technologies to the problem I'm trying to solve. That's right. So good. That's great. Did you want to jump in, Brandon? Yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, during COVID, that was a time that we all like were forced to innovate and maybe play with emerging technologies that we weren't like trying to use pre-pandemic. So like one example uh, for my teaching at Stanford, actually, uh, we had gotten our course approved and we thought it was going to be on campus and like in person. COVID smashed that and we ended up having to do it over Zoom. So I said, okay, I care deeply about, you know, East Palo Alto, East San Jose, a bunch of kind of underserved communities. Um, many times I had taken groups of students on campus or 
uh, to my job to paint a picture of a future that I wanted for them, right? So during COVID, um, I took this crazy idea to Stanford and said, hey, what if we open up our course uh, work and all of the stuff that we're doing to anybody who wants to take it, like make it effectively like a massively open online course. And I got hit with the quick no. Um, I escalated it a couple of times and tried to paint the picture and make the vision really, really plain for them. And uh, finally got approval. We thought 50, 60, 70 people might sign up for the course that we were doing out of the D school. Uh, we opened up registration and 750 people signed up in the first week. So we took like 25 Stanford students and 750 people from South Africa, from Brazil, from all these different countries on a journey with us. And all of those artifacts and all of those moments live on Instagram. You know, we started Stanford Community College on there. There's a thousand plus people that are, were part of that experience. So now I'm like, I can literally blow up all of higher education if I wanted to in the future because we've proven that this is something that, that works. Uh, that people have an appetite for, and uh, it's got some kind of notions of product market fit. So there's another example of you got to always be experimenting and pushing the boundary and failing a lot. And failing, your, your team that you build should let you fail without judgment so that you don't feel shame or that you don't feel like bad about trying anything. So um, yeah, that's some encouragement. Yeah, uh, I'm actually dealing with this right now. I, my business is very abstract when it comes to like what we do, like, cause like, from the outside looking in, you could say, oh, you guys are kind of like square or toast or clover. And so I have to kind of paint a picture uh, that is a bit more difficult to, to, to get people to like to catch right away. So I don't know if mo uh, a lot of you kind of, uh, you know, paid attention. To, or yeah, hear, I think uh, you have to explain what revenue yeah, is I'm, real quick. I'll yeah. explain it right now. Um, so if you guys have uh, paid attention to like the idea of like Web 2, Web 3, right? If Web 2 is basically how do you take what you do in the real world and bring it to the digital world? Buy stuff, ship stuff, mail stuff. You know, it's more complex than that, but that's like the baseline of it. Web 3, a lot of people will call blockchain, crypto, decentralization, and so on and so forth. You know, I actually disagree with a lot. I told you I'm contrarian. I disagree with a lot of smart people. And a lot of people call that Web3. I actually think that that's Web4. And I think Web3 started about seven years ago, but was miscategorized as the sharing economy. So you have this concept of, uh, I share my home, I share my car, I share my tools, and that was the idea. And if you've been in investments, you know you probably heard everybody say, I'm the Uber of pet walking, right? <laughs> it was just like Uber of everything. Um, but what was the magic about that process was, wasn't the, the sharing, it was the fact that you got a chance to digitize a physical item in the physical space and give consumers the ability to engage with that physical item digitally. So I get into an Uber, but my entire engagement with that process is 100% digital. Like that was the magic. And so as much as I love Zucks and what we're trying to do in the metaverse, like there's some practical ways of taking great technology and layering it on top of the physical world and allowing people to you know, do incredible things like augmented reality. Well, when I walk into a store, why do I need a credit card? When I get into Uber, I don't need a credit card, right? So there are opportunities to really uh, double down on technology and trying to help people see that vision. Reminds me of a movie I was watching of, of uh, Jeff Bezos and he was trying to explain people uh, to Amazon and they were like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, help me, what's the internet again? So that's kind of what I find myself doing uh, right now. But I, I think it's a part of the process of learning and growing. And you, you, the better I become as a storyteller, the easier it is for them to be able to get to, to be able to take it away. So yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the time. I want to make sure I make room for questions. And we, we do have a microphone ready to go, right? Okay, cool. 
Um, are you guys ready for questions? Yeah, yeah hopefully. Um, if you've got a question, just shoot your hand up and um, we'll call on you. And um, like Pastor Adam said, hopefully it's a good question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you can stand up and say your name. Hey. Um, that'd be great. And then you can say your question. Uh, hi, I'm Atal. I want to know, like, how do you look at uh, chat GPT integrations happening in different industries and how do you feel uh, that's going to change and where should we be in this at this point learning about it? Interesting. Yeah. The elephant in the room. Yeah, exactly. I, if nobody so, was going to ask, I was going to ask. So. Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> this is literally a tool that everybody should be playing with, like whether you try to just understand what it is and what it can do or whether you're trying to, like, uh, automate yourself at the office so that you can play more golf with Chris Owusu on Fridays. <laughs> um, that's what I'm using it for. Um, the idea that human productivity is able to be programmed uh, or be automated away a bit frees us up as human beings to think about some of the things I teach about, like in social and in design, poverty, um, violence, uh, globalization, cross-border transfer of funds, equality. So I'm thinking about ChatGPT in a way that will allow me to free up my capacity so that the real problems, like not the first world problems that we have, but the real problems that we have in the world, I could actually put more brain power to those. So I would encourage you, like, you know, don't be afraid of it. Sign up for an account. I think uh, OpenAI is right now working on uh, a product that'll let you figure out if AI wrote that or if like a human actually wrote that. So they, they got a slew of things that are coming out to, um, I mean, 2023 is going to be a roller coaster ride when it comes to AI and generative stuff. So I'll start it there. I, I know these guys have. Yeah, I know you have a lot. So let me jump here. <laughs> uh, all right. So I, the way I look at um, chat GPT is not to look at chat GPT, but just look at it as a function. I think it's going to do a lot of us as entrepreneurs and even us who just work at a job. We're going to use it as an application and not worry about the AI. I think that we don't have, most companies don't have enough data to make AI work at the level that chat GPT, Google, Facebook. So I think the smart move is to actually figure out how you layer the technology into existing products that you're building. Like, I think that if you do that faster than anybody, I think you're going to win. Um, so my, the way I would say is look at chat GPT, play with this, see what it can do, but really start to ask yourself, like, what parts of the puzzle in my business or in my organization could I leverage this for? And then how do I tie it into the everyday aspect of my, my business or my, uh, my, my job? I think that, that's how I would look at it. Yeah. I spent a lot of time thinking about how we democratize service to people around the world. And so when there's something that I need help with, I have a lot of ways to get information or people to support me, whether that's at work, whether that's with the company, whether it's with the product that I bought. But for most people in the world, that access is actually really challenging, either because they don't have the technology, it's too expensive to service them. And technology like chat, chat um, gives them the opportunity to provide that service in a much cheaper way that can be delivered over a phone. And it doesn't even need to be a smartphone. And so some of the applications I get most excited about is, you know, how do we provide really good customer service to the 600 million people in India that don't have a computer but have a smartphone? Wow. And that's why I think the technology can become really interesting because it's too expensive to provide customer service to those people um, with a human. Um, they don't have a web browser, um, but they do have a phone. Yeah. 
and technology like that allows us to service them um, and support them. And that's what's really exciting to me. Great. One more yeah, thing. Awesome. One more thing. Yep. Oh, go um, for it. Read the terms and conditions as well. Uh, like all the Linza people taking photos of their kids and themselves, like, yeah. you know, they can sell those and like they can do stuff with that. So like be <laughs> cognizant of what you're signing up for, especially if you're going to try to productionalize or commercialize it. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've got a question in the front. Oh, up here. Okay. Great. Hi, everyone. So thank you very much for the talking. It was very interesting. And uh, to continue this question with uh, AI and ChatGPT stuff, I'm really passionate about this currently. I'm a founder of startup, not at all in AI and stuff, in e-commerce, so free and greener delivery. But the thing is, I feel that I have an obligation. Like Kyle, you said that we need to do something with passion. The thing is, I don't have any passion for AI, but I, need, I feel obliged to do and to learn about it unless I will be left behind. And my question is like, how it will impact people that not really in, into the, the real tech, deep tech. I mean like, you know, uh, they are maybe artists or something and they heard that, okay, we will be maybe replaced by AI and stuff. So how I'm actually not really into it, but I feel like obliged to do that finally so that I will not left behind. And I feel that it will can create also that more and more inequality finally for these people, not only general, generalizing finally the use and democratizing the things which is positive, but how we can against this negative things finally that creating more equality in tech. Thank you. Uh, I'm a big believer that history repeats itself. And this same conversation was happening with every new technology. I don't like Facebook. I don't like Instagram. I don't like TikTok. I don't, I don't like the internet. I don't like TV. I don't like radio. Like, you know, the conversation is a constant, you know, but what you have to do is Get, you got to get over that piece of it and just actually accept that this is the direction that the world is going and figure out how you can take advantage of it instead of pushing it to the side. And this is what I mean when I say most people are not early adopters. This is the, this is the, the reason is because you look at stuff like people say, oh, TikTok, man, what happens if you know, the U.S. government shuts it down? Like, why am I going to build an audience on TikTok? Well, like, you weren't thinking about that with Jerry Seinfeld, right? Oh, Jerry Seinfeld show. I'm going to put my ads on Jerry Seinfeld. What if they shut it off? Well, then I just reached a million people who were watching it that day. Like, I think that the way we have to look at it is just understand that it's necessary. Like, and once you do that, and once you get past that, then you can just say, all right, what do I need to do to, to actually start implementing it in my life? But, you know, that's what, what I was What are your thoughts, though, on the other side? Oh, sorry, Kyle. Go ahead. I'll yeah, ask my question. Now. I was just going to add to that. I was gonna, well, first, congratulations for being a founder. That's so incredibly hard. Like, good for you to go out and do that. That's fantastic. In terms of, you know, is ChatGT going to replace, you know, me? I think the answer is absolutely no. Someone who knows how to leverage that technology might replace you. And so I would just encourage all of you, learn the tools that are going to be important to do your job. Because if you're not learning those tools, someone else will. And that's when I think you're really at risk. Great. I think you answered my question because I was going to ask on the other side of your question about on that creative space because I feel that's been some of the conversation in the creative space as to whether or not they should be a little afraid or really jump into AI. Um, would love your thoughts. I think you want to jump in there, Brandon. Yeah, so like rapper Brandon and rapper Eugene should weigh in on this. Like cr cr creators, <laughs> creators um, there's a fundamental question about like, who should own my art or like the economics of my content and what's coming out of my soul. Like 
you know, the record industry used to take 70, 80, 90% of it and leave our artists with just kind of the leftovers. Um, if we bring it into Web3 and blockchain, like if I'm trying to send 100 units of something to a family member in West Africa, there's a, a thing in my mind that already says, oh, I'm only expecting 75 or 80 units to actually get across and for the middlemen and the brokers to take so much of uh, that 20 or 15%. So I think the, the core value is maintaining kind of creative control and ownership of what you create and uh, diminishing kind of the, the middlemen. And the idea that you have to start from there and then think about all the different um, pieces of that chain uh, and getting your content or your art out to your users. Um, COVID killed a lot of artists because they couldn't tour. Um, streaming, like you read the T's and C's and like look at those numbers and it's, it's not great for them, right? So we have to, as creators, um, this is why design is so important, kind of design and have a long-term vision for new things that we can create in new systems and technology goes both ways. Like in one way it can hurt us, but without broadcast, like how's Vive gonna reach all of the tens of thousands of people? How are um, the good use cases gonna come out of any of this stuff? So um, look at it like glass half full as much as you can, but um, again, your team is gonna be important because getting your arms around every single piece of it, you might have the tech side, but you might need the business guy or you might need the, the storyteller. So. Um, hopefully that starts to answer the question, but it's, it's a big question. Yeah, I think your point around distribution of that content is really important. You know, people say content is king. Well, distribution is King Kong. And so just... So as you are thinking about that content you create, you know, distribution that allows you to get directly into the hands of your consumers and keep a larger percentage share of that value for yourself is a really good thing. And I get excited about things that companies are building on the blockchain that allow that to happen. And so if you're a creator, like that's a space I would spend time looking into because it's a way for you to better connect and create more value for your customers. Brilliant. Awesome. Okay, I think we have time for like a few more questions. We've got one. Okay, one in the front. Go for it. Hi, uh, my name is Claire. I have a business that is exactly serving the creative community. So the last past two months, I had this deep dive on generative AI. So like I tried uh, all the famous generative AI tools out there. So my concern right now is, it is the how how big of impact it will um, be on the creative community. Like some of the tools are, we're talking about like the ChatGPT or like the text to image, Dolly, Meet Journey, Stable Diffusion, Runway. There's just like tons of these tools out there. Um, this year we're talking about text to videos coming out soon. So it's a super super disruptive uh, disruptive for the creative and entertainment industry. We're talking about Hollywood in the next five years. Like like how would that change? So for my community, I, traditionally I have courses, education on do photographies, videographies, designs, and but all of a sudden, all of all of these things are just so de democratized, and a lot of my peers and my uh, colleagues or people who I used to serve have this huge fear, um, and they're also 
some of them are in denial, some, some of them just not simply like they don't want to accept the reality or some of them just like never heard of these or um, they're just trying to ignore hoping it's another like a crypto NFT project will lose their hype next year. Um, so it's actually quite fascinating. So I am trying to be sort of like the leader in, in my space to try to help people understand how powerful and inform as many creative I can to understand, learn, start trying, start like playing around with these, these tools like to, and so they can like make informed decision on their own whether or not like this is for them or not because I think that should be option. But because the implications and the controversies and lack of regulations and no copywriting laws in this space, a lot of creators, artists are just like really against by even utilizing these tools. So my biggest fear right now is a lot of the people adopting and active learning is actually the people within the tech bubble, basically like people who are actually in this room. Um, so and we, then, sorry, just to, for, for time. Do yeah. we, so what the is, what's the question? Is, so the question is, sorry for the background. Um, the question is how do I show up in this space that can uh, like bring a lot of attention to this topic and then can actually onboarding a lot of creatives to willingly to learn and understand this is a tech technology is going to stay here. And yeah. Cool. Yeah. Congratulations for starting your business. Y'all learn. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, sorry. Um, so, so I would say to them, the guy who bought 100 horses before Ford launched the first car, they were just out of luck. And like, I think that for those who just don't pick up, they just don't pick up. Like, I, I think, you know, one of my mentors used to tell me this all of the time. He said, um, I, I can get to the finish line by running a race with a bunch of people who are ready to run, but I can't carry three on my back. And like, I think that that's the mentality that a lot of us entrepreneurs, we want everybody to come with us, but the reality is they just won't. So if they don't see it, they just get left behind. And it's at first, coming from where I come from and you know, in the neighborhood I come from, like you can't be a sellout, right? Like, so you, you got to bring everybody with you, but I, I learned that you, sometimes you've got to sell out to get out, to come back, to help out. And so, I, so. So, uh, so I would just say run, and for those who run, and uh, I think you'll be fine. What's your name one more time? Uh, Claire. Claire. So there's probably a lot of people in this room that have those same questions, and there's a networking session after this. Go find Claire. Have that conversation. I'd love to listen. So just take time after this to have a chat with Claire. One last thing to put on that yeah. is education and the power of community. Like you look at the growth of discords and the growth of like yeah. these communities that are focused, these mastermind things that pop up everywhere. So I do think that there's like a decline of the established like big higher academia types of things and like the rise of creators and people who know how to bring communities of 50, 100, yeah. a couple hundred people along uh, the journey of this emerging technology that we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, we've got a bunch of questions. We'll go Hi. to this side Hi. of the room. Hi. Yeah. Oh, someone's hey. got a mic. Okay, never mind. I have no control. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so my name is Adami Day. Could you stand up? We can, because we have lights in our eyes. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. Um, Thank you. So my name is Adami Day, and my question, I guess, 
you know, maybe uh, Brandon and Eugene can help. Um, what is your advice to a founder looking to um, raise their first fund? And the reason I'm asking that is because a lot of founders get, for lack of a better word, like, you know, like messed up or like cheated or stuff like that. Mm. You know, maybe they, they get, try to raise funds and it's like, you know, they realize that, oh, I just got cheated or something. So what's your advice to somebody who's trying to raise their first fund? Just to clarify, raising a fund or funding your funding, business? Like you're, you're, you're trying to raise your first amount of money for your ah, business. Okay, yeah. got it, got it. Um, there's a lot of what they call dry powder, a lot of cash and capital that's sitting on the sidelines right now. Um, especially in crypto and Web3, there was just a flurry of activity and then this roller coaster ride went down last year. So it's harder today to, you know, get a check written into you, but it's not impossible. So every creator uh, who is getting disrupted by the technology needs to go back to the fundamentals of business and understanding what the customers and what the market that you're serving actually wants versus what you think they want and what you, like, in a room without any validation have verified, validated, and tested out. So you can go in front of you know, VCs today with a killer deck and with solid kind of business, financial, market fundamentals and get money. Um, what you cannot do, like it's not 2021 anymore. You can't just have a deck and an idea um, and expect to get the 2021 results in 2023. Yeah, so I hear, you, I hear your question, man. So here'd be my very simple advice to you. There's a book called The Secrets of Sand Hill Road by Scott Kapoor. It's like 400 pages, and that will save you thousands of hours of screwing around and screwing up. Read that book. If you still have questions, come back and find me at a few weeks at Vive, and we'll have a conversation. Read that book. I'll just add, they want to know the name of the book again. Secrets of Sand Hill Road by Scott Kapoor. And I'll, I'll throw another book on that called Venture Deals. Um, I think that both of those books will definitely help. Awesome. Okay, we've got... Where's oh, the... Okay, oh, thank you, Daniel. Hello. Hi, how are you? My name is Leah Garcia. I'm also a CEO of my own startup. And thank you. So keeping into account time, I'm just going to ask really concisely is, could you guys talk about knowing when to pivot and iterate with your startup in these emerging markets and with these emerging technologies. And then can you also just add a little bit about how vital failure is for your startup? She busted out the P Yeah, those are good. Uh, this, is, this is something I know extremely well. Um, so uh, in the company that we're currently in, we had to pivot. Um, and that pivot was extremely, extremely painful um, because, you know, you have an idea where you want to go and how you want to do it. And, and like Brandon just mentioned, the marketplace will tell you whether this is working or not. And sometimes because we're so visionary about where we want to go, we like don't want to listen to the market tell you whether it's good or not. And I think that what I had to realize is that the, the business idea, the concept, the vision was right, but the execution on the vision was incorrect. And even though, and I had to make this decision while making money. So we launched the, our company in uh, January of 2018. 
by September, we went from zero to $30,000 a month. And so for anybody who understands technology, you know, that's actually pretty good, you know, uh, 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 you know success. And I pivoted the company at that point. And it was because I realized that as much as it was working and we were making sales, it was because like I was doing the bulk of the selling. And once I hired a sales team, they couldn't close anywhere close to the, 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 the rate that I could. And I already knew, I was like, this is not going to scale. And so I had to adjust. And, but I could have just fell in love with, no, you know, I just got bad people. It's like, nah, these people were good and they couldn't do it. So I have to adjust. And I think that a lot of times it's just telling yourself the truth. And the only thing I would say about failure is instead of trying to not, and I, this, this is probably not you, but instead of trying to not go after failure, it's trying to fail faster. And I think a lot of people, the, the society will tell you failing is wrong, but in reality, what you need to do is figure out the, the gap between your failure and somebody else's failure is the margin. And if you fail faster, you learn faster, and you have a better margin on the, on, on the back half of that. The, the only thing I'd add to that is, as the founder CEO, you'll know if you should pivot before anybody else. You'll know before the board, before your finance person, before all the data, you will know, especially if you're spending time with your customers. And so I would encourage you to trust your gut, be bold there. The second startup that I was part of, um, we grew rapidly to about 50 million a year, and then we plateaued. Uh, Our founder CEO was bold, he made a hard pivot to do something different, and we grew that business to a billion dollars. And so, be bold. You all know as the CEO. I mean, your muscles don't grow unless there's tension. So, like, your muscles are failing all the time in the gym, and there's no growth without kind of that being on the line and on the precipice of failure. So, again, try to get your team to help you fail without judgment so that you're not shaming yourself or feeling too bad about it, but uh, no growth with no failure. I know there's a lot more questions, but I'm watching time. Um, one more question? Okay. Boss says one more question. Um, I, <laughs> where, Danielle, do you? Oh, okay, cool. All right. Awesome. Yep, we hear you. What's your hey, name? Uh, Farron Rucker. Yes. Uh, so I'm an electronics engineer by trade, uh, software, engi- software engineer by uh, industry. And so I'm not a creative, but I spend time every day solving other people's problems for the organization. Um, as a non-creative, uh, I would love to get into uh, being an entrepreneur. So are there, I learned a lot of key tips today, but are there any additional steps on how to go from essentially a nine to five to becoming your own entrepreneur, your, your own kingdom builder, so. Yeah, I'll tell a story. Like when the App Store first came out in 2008, uh, my weekends throughout that whole time was uh, spent building this game uh, called Tic-Tac-Toe 10, which is like chess meets Tic-Tac-Toe. Like if they had a baby, it was a strategy game that kids could play and like that 75-year-olds could play. Um, I was not about to leave Cisco Systems as a software engineer and throw all of my time into this new device that Steve Jobs created and this app store that came the year after. But it was one of like the most phenomenal Uh, experiences around how to build a small business on top of an emerging technology. I got scammed by some people in Las Vegas who wanted to take the idea and like I paid this person a couple hundred dollars to market it and it never materialized. So like you learn so much. I went on the road to uh, the National PTA Convention in Memphis, Tennessee to talk to teachers about how they could 
gamify math and strategy and that crashed and burned as well. But like a lot of the crazy ideas I was able to get out, pressure test and uh, learn from so that when I tell you today, like what it feels like, it's coming from a place of experience versus a place of I think. Nice. Very nice. I, I'd add on to that. If you want to leave your corporate job to be an entrepreneur, I would advise you to approach it differently than that. I'd approach it as here's a problem that I'm really passionate about solving. And the only way to solve that problem is to start a company. And the founders that I've seen have started with that mindset have been more successful than the founders that have said, I want to be a founder or I want to be an entrepreneur. And so think about that problem that you are passionate about solving and then go do that. Awesome. That's, sorry, I got distracted because I want to make sure we get more into that. That was a great question. Thank you for that. Um, we're going to do something fun real quick because it seems like we've got so many questions. We're going to do a lightning round of the five last questions here in the room. So pop your hand up. And we've got to get your question in quick. We're going to get answers in quick because we've got just a wealth of wisdom here. So can you, yep. real quick, you said, Eugene, that um, the mentor that you got absolutely changed your life. If you guys real quick could just tell a little bit about the role that mentors have played in your life, uh, and then also how to like um, win over somebody to become a mentor, somebody that you respect, any, any insight on that, and kind of what, what, what did they, they identify in you, Eugene, you know, your mentor that you think, you know, a little bit of insight that you can pass on. Quite the lightning round question. Uh, no, yeah. I was thinking in my head, how to condense, condense. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think sometimes uh, it's easy to, to grab people who are moving than people who have stayed still. And a lot of times people try to find mentors before you've ever started. And when you start and you start moving, then people say, man, this guy's moving. I want to help him move faster. And I think a lot of that was just about mentality uh, there. So I think that that's good. Okay. Awesome. Okay, let me take another question. Um, hello. So my question was about uh, more to the chat GPT, but also like new technologies. I wanted to know more about how we should go about incorporating that into lower areas of education. Because personally, I'm a high school student right now, and I've been facing like trying to get more technologies into our education system, but like a lot of lack of motivation from students and even from the administration. And it's like it's been causing like a lot of people with more access have been get, doing like a lot better in classes, but like we're a very low income school, and it's yeah. been like very difficult. I like this question. Yeah, that's great. So. Brandon, go for it. This is you. I'm in the process right now of putting together some design jams and some like uh, meetings of the mind across generations so that we can actually pressure test the ideas, like hear from teachers, hear from students, hear from technologists, because we don't know the answers actually. Uh, but I'm excited to incentivize 13, 14, 15 year olds uh, to economically like uplift and empower them and encourage them to get a jump on their career. Um, so I'd please find me after and we'll like, yeah. we'll talk about it. Good. All right. Who's our next? We got, or, I don't know where you are. Okay. Just talk. Hi. Um, <laughs> my question is we have emerging technologies, but they're emerging countries. Most of the world aren't up to the speed of America and England and they don't have internet, not to talk about a virtual reality where we can do amazing things. So is there a space in the conversation for how to bring those countries along to ensure there's equality and pace as we grow? I spend most of my day thinking about that. So a lot of this is the delivery mechanism of that technology. And so if you think about WhatsApp, for example, um, there are three billion people around the world that use WhatsApp. 
there are 5 billion adults in the world. And so that means 60% of the adults in the world are using WhatsApp every day. And so that is a delivery mechanism that allows you to bring technology to people in emerging markets. Um, as an example of that, you know, education came up earlier. During COVID, a lot of kids in India couldn't go to school. They also didn't have a laptop and they don't have broadband internet at home. So how are they gonna get education? Well, teachers figured out how to deliver that education over WhatsApp in text format. That's something that you probably wouldn't think of as technology, but that's how hundreds of millions of kids went to school in India during the pandemic. And so that distribution channel and that access is really important. And WhatsApp is just one of the channels that allows us to do that. That's awesome. Okay, we got another one. Yep. How do you deal with the tension of all this passion and vision that you have as an entrepreneur and keeping your, the basis of your hope in God? Oh man, this is not a short answer. Yeah, um, I think I think I think the I think the big thing is the is is just going back to the Bible, seek ye first the kingdom. And I think as much as we remind ourselves what the end result is for. So like I, I can run a business, but I run a business, yeah. I, do I want the business to be a billion dollar outcome? Absolutely. But like it's not because Eugene can get a billion dollars, right? Like it's, you know, when you try to build a cake, I've never seen a cake eat itself. So like the cake is meant to be nourishment for others. And so the goal is for that impact and focus on that. You're such a rapper. Like all the metaphors and similes. Okay, great. We've got another one. Hey guys. Uh, my name is Henry Penix. Uh, nice to see you guys. Uh, to bring this to a capstone, my question is, what would be the one key distinction that you all possess that really sets you apart in this industry of technology? That was my wrap-up question, Ooh, That was my wrap-up question. I'm with you. Same spirit we're hearing from. Come on. There you go. Um, so thanks to Chicago, maybe partly, uh, anybody know about the five Ps? Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Um, I am willing to wake up earlier and stay later. Uh, I had a lot of imposter syndrome, you know, getting off a train with my baggy jeans as an intern at Cisco. Like, I saw more, more Porsches and Mercedes Benz and BMWs in one view than I had seen in, like, my entire life. So I told myself at that moment, like, Lord, you're going to have to give me the strength to be here longer, to get through all of the internal stuff that says I don't belong here. And that was 18 years ago, so I haven't looked back since. So proper preparation prevents poor performance. I'd encourage you, um, for the folks that aren't married, be really thoughtful about the spouse that you pick. Um, to... So, you know, you know, what helps me do well in my job? Like, I give a lot of credit to my wife, Anna, because she's kind of... She is... She believes in me more than I believe in me, and that gives me confidence, and that encourages me to take risk because she is such a champion for me. At the same time, when I believe in myself too much, she brings me right back down to reality. And so picking the right spouse is the key here. Um, 
man. Um, I, I think I think my if I was to ask what my superpower is, I would probably say human psychology. Like my big thing is about reading people because the goal of a leader is to move people. And so you've got to be able to do that well. And only the way to do that well is to understand people. And so um, I do a lot of studying on why people think the way they think, how they think the way they think, and what's the best way for me to get them to, you know, move. And I'll share this one last thing. Um, you know, leadership, it, you know, this, it, leadership and manipulation are very similar. Um, you know, um, manipulation is, is leading a person for your benefit and leadership is leading it for them. And the only way to do that for them is to know who they are, what they want, what they care about. And then you can guide them in that direction. Great. Awesome. Do you want to take a mic? Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to just, um, before I bring up Pastor Adam, just want to encourage you. I'm sure there was many more questions in the room. We're going to release you in just a little bit to do some networking and um, make sure in an email I did send you all of their LinkedIn contacts. So get in contact with them and with each other. Um, yeah, Pastor Adam, let me bring you up. Can we give these guys a hand? <laughs> Great job, really great job. That was helpful, wasn't it? So much value from uh, that discussion and, of course, uh, great questions, everybody. Uh, I want to encourage you, we are going to do a networking opportunity. Not only will our panelists be out there to uh, hang out for maybe 30 minutes or whatnot, uh, but inside this room is gold as well, probably sitting around you. So, you don't need to just line up to talk to the panelists. You can strike up a conversation with anybody in this room, and I'm sure you'll get some value out of that. So we're going to move out there. We have got some food, connection time, but uh, I would love to pray for us if that's okay with you. God, I want to pray right now over each and every person represented here, representing a company, representing a family, representing a marriage. God, I pray right now, Lord, your blessing upon them. Lord, would your favor go before them? I pray for divine connections. I pray for breakthrough opportunities. I pray that even out of this moment, this evening, Lord, there would be something that would make it historic for the rest of their life. Bless them, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. One more thing. Hey, each episode of The Hype Podcast is a conversation about innovation, technology, and other market trends from the faith-filled perspective. Our hope is that these conversations fuel your innovative ideas and give you confidence to continue to build with kingdom principles. And even more than that, make kingdom connections through The Hype Network. So come and find us at thehypenetwork.org. You can learn more about events that are happening all over the country, a couple that are going to start to pop up in Europe. We're excited to share more information with you. So get connected with us. Get on the email list at hypenetwork.org.